The Kentucky Ghost Hunter Show is sponsored by the following. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few more sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? Yes. And this? Yes. And what about this? You're there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. As a man, you know what it's like to break your back on a daily basis. Introducing new Bud Silver, the beer for hardworking men. It's just what you need after a day of assembling flat pack furniture. When instructions are cast aside in favor of intuition. Working with one eye on the job and another on the TV. A day when you're told it looks a bit wonky at least 40 times. Hardworking men want a fuller tasting, thirst quenching beer. New Bud Silver. One cold can of you bet I earned it. Hi, this is the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. If you've ever wanted to become a successful investor but have some issues on just where to find a good deal, well, I've got one for you. Look no further than Sorehead Station Burgers and Lord Hartford. The opportunity offers low participation with a maximum revenue award potential. If you want to learn more about this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, just send me an email. Dean at KentuckyGhostHunter.com That's Dean at KentuckyGhostHunter.com I'll tell you what, I'll forward your request for information to the owners of this facility, and you'll get back to you as soon as possible. It's a great deal, folks. Remember the name, Sorehead Station Burgers and More. When the food is great, the profits are going to be greater. We're here asking people from all over what they think of lifting green tea. Let's hear what people from Texas have to say. Mmm, How about China? Mmm. Germany? Mmm. How about people from the North Pole? Mmm. Or Mars. <laughs> it, what about mimes? Oh, right. People with their jaws wired shut? Oh. Yeah, a barbershop quartet. Mm. Oh, you guys are great. How about race car drivers? Mm. Yeah, what about you, high school glee club, here on a field trip? settles it. It sounds like everyone loves the taste of Lipton green tea. With its protective antioxidants from real tea, it's not just good for you, it's mmm to you. Lipton tea can do that. Air fresheners create a beautiful atmosphere in your home. But some can be overpowering. Ambipure Puress is different because it's allergen reduced. It's just as scented, but we've taken things out to make it kinder to sensitive skin. So, all you're left with is a collection of delicate air fresheners approved by Allergy UK. Ambipure Puress, a fresh take on fragrance in your home. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's Dark Chocolate to the Rescue. My heroes! M&M's Dark Chocolate Candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Hi, Tom Bodette. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes. And others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. We love the Kentucky Ghost Hunter! Welcome to the Kentucky Ghost Hunter Show. As always, this is the Kentucky Ghost Hunter coming to you live from Centertown, Kentucky, population of 1.1 people. We have a, a parade once a year, and uh, 
it lasts about five minutes. So that's the, our, the gist of how well we do here as far as entertainment is concerned. So I guess I'm the hot spot here in Centertown. And as always, my co-host, Kevin Quatman. Say hello, Kevin. Hey, everybody. Good evening. Good evening to everybody as well. Now, we have a special guest with us tonight. We have Christopher Maggard. Now, a lot of people in the paranormal world will know of Christopher. He's been in the paranormal world for about 36 years. He's not, he's not in it. Right now, he's retired out of it, and he's went into production. He's uh, actually the executive producer and director of a movie called Rosalie, and it's a, a major motion picture that'll be coming out here pretty soon. And uh, welcome, Christopher. How are you today? Good, man. Great, great, great. How are you guys? We're, we're doing good. awesome. Hey, I got to ask you a question. Now, you, you, when we were coming into the intro part here, uh, we talked a little bit. You said you were in paranormal for about thirty six years, and you got out of it. You went into uh, movies. What what took you out of the paranormal investigation part of it? <laughs> uh, yeah, you're gonna get I hard start? questions there, man. You're gonna get hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> where do I start? Uh, I well, think we, we've got an hour, so you got plenty of time. Oh, okay. I think it was where it's gone so mainstream. It's uh, the everything's was truly forgotten. What the whole paranormal community was about. And then it was a couple other things that I just kept seeing and seeing as becoming more of a money, money marketing thing instead of, uh, focusing on, uh, the essential, uh, object or subject when that's understanding the unknown. And, and I got tired of turning every time I go on Facebook, everybody in their profile just looked like I was in, in the next Zach Bagans with the flat bill, black cast the black frame glasses and a, and a medium tight black t-shirts and it's like oh my god this is where it's going i need to jump out now before it comes any worse and, you know, uh, I think, and I, i'm gonna say let me say something here quick because i think uh kevin we've talked about this before in our past i think i have to agree with you chris that uh it's it's just gone uh, everybody wants to be zach bagans now i mean it's really gone ridiculousness yeah, yeah absolutely man I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still some really great people out there that's trying to do the right thing, and you know, and it's and it's uh, and those are becoming more rare, and it's becoming more of people attacking each other and saying who's right and who's wrong, and you know, it's just like, good lord, people, come on. Man. There's a lot of jealousy, um, and there's a lot of people trying to get. There's a lot of people trying to become famous and become the it factor. I guess there's a lot of people who don't. They kind of knock each other down a lot, I noticed. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's human nature for people to be recognized, you know. And and sometimes, you know, some of us need to be knocked down a couple notches. But it's just, I, I think, you know, and I've gotten, I've gone as far as I could with my end of it as research goes. And uh, I think I, without me actually taking... Uh, classes in, in some type of science, and uh, I've gone as far as I could to actually come up with what I think the paranormal is, and and uh, that's about it, man. And I just said, you know what, uh, I want to be behind the camera. I miss being behind the camera. I miss being on sets, and because I worked on film production when I lived in California for about five years, and uh, I enjoyed it, and so I just wanted to get back into it. So how much of your experience being a paranormal investigator in the past did you use to make Rosalie? Um, well, you know, I guess, you know, like when you film, you know, people do either a war movie or a cop movie. They have people on set that are actual law enforcement or military, and and they're kind of like, you know, give a guidance. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. So in Rosalie, I, with the cast, I said, well, this is how you – this is how I would pr- – uh, conduct a uh, paranormal investigation. Um, I wouldn't say it's an EVP session because you haven't caught an EVP. So I would call it an audio session, you know, and I said, you're doing an audio session in hopes to capture uh, an EVP. And so I, I would teach them that and I would teach them how to do it and how to use the cameras and and how to listen for things. And, and so I guess from that experience, I applied that to the cast, and pretty much I just said, you know, guys, make it your own, and they did. They just made it amazing. So now, when people make movies, what all? Because there's a lot of people out there right now in the paranormal world that's wanting to do what you do, and it's not. Everybody thinks it's easy. You get a camera because they Blair Witch Project started this out actually, where they just took the camera and, you know, 
film stuff and it did excellent for them. There's a lot of other people coming out trying that too now, Chris, but what would you suggest to people that if they're serious about making a movie, since you're doing it, what would you suggest to them? Well, here's the thing that I learned from doing reality TV show to a documentary to uh, feature film. Feature film is a whole different ballpark. It's completely different. To where reality TV, you can just get a little handy cam and you just point it and, and, and there you go. Um, documentary, there is some, when you do a shooting a documentary, there's reenactments and there's some lighting and there's some basic scripts or basic story beats you do. But when it comes to a film, you got to have certain type of lighting. you got to understand your lighting. you got to understand your different types of lenses for your different type of shoot and for different depths of field, then you got different types of filters you use. They're called NDA filters. Um, there's a lot that goes into it, and a lot of it, which is the biggest headache to me, is the paperwork. Uh, when you're bringing someone on board, you got release of liabilities. When you're being a cast and crew, you have to find the right cast and crew who knows what they're doing, gaffers and grips and, and PAs and line production and you know, you got to have the right DP and ADs, and there's a lot to it. And, you know, and you're setting up your shots, and you got to block your scenes, and you got to work with your actors. It's, it's not just to take a camera and point and shoot, and, hey, I made a movie. No, it's not. There's a lot to it. <laughs> and there's a lot of legalities to it, too, because if you don't watch out, man, you can really cause a lot of problems legally. Um, you know, like when you're doing these. People do these paranormal YouTube shows. They can walk around. You see a Coca-Cola can, or you see a Gatorade, or a Dr Pepper, and it's okay. It's just oh, it's YouTube. But when you're filming a feature film, you have to get permission from these companies, or they can sue you <laughs> for using their product on screen without permission. Um, and you got you have. Like I said, you got legal issues, and you know, depending on what kind of actor you have, whether they're SAG or non-SAG, they're non-SAG. You don't have to worry about as much as SAG people do because you got SAG rates, and then you got insurance, and then you got medical. You got to cover. There's there's a lot to it, and it's just not. Hey, let's get a bunch of. I mean, look. That's that's the major motion pictures, you know, and I and I work with a great I have a great group of people I work with now and we do a bunch of shorts and I just worked on another film and they handle the legalities but we get out there and we put stuff together and we work together and we make it happen but we do it right. And there's storyboarding and there's call sheets and there's there's shooting schedules you have to go by and then there's a lot to it. So it's it's not a point and shoot game. It's it's a lot of prep work. As a director, what's your as a director in a film, not even just Rosalie, but what what's the main thing that uh, you have to focus on? I guess to make something successful. As a, I know, there's a lot to do, but I mean, is there a specific main thing as a director that you have to really watch for, especially with the actors? Yeah, I mean, I think as far as me, I really love working with my actors. I want to make them feel comfortable, and I want them to really bring out their talent and um, and make the, the, their lines, make it their own. You know, a script, a shooting script is something that's basically your basic format. This is what we want to be said in the scene. But I, as for me as a director, I, I want the right lighting and I want the right angles and I want the right depth of field. And then I want my uh, actors to feel so comfortable and feel like, you know, th yeah, this is mine. You know, and I want them to feel like they can just deliver without being under pressure. And um, and I want them to have a good time. So, because I don't want a bad product, and I don't want them to look bad either. So, it's, you got to work with your, your cast. You know, you just can't sit there and demand, demand, demand. You got to work with them and let them also let their talents flow. So, Chris, <coughs> excuse me, when you get the um, show up and running and you get the get it all done, how do you go about finding distribution? Is it something that you have to send them the actual Rosalie film and then they review it and they decide, hey, yeah, we want to pick this up? Or do they 
I, I'm dumb when it comes to all this kind of stuff. I've never looked into movie productions, but how do you find uh, somebody to distribute your film? Well, initially, what you want to do, you want to have that all figured out before you actually start shooting. And I had one distribution company I was going to go with, but then I realized through production, uh, midway through production, that this company was just uh, a money racketeer. And there's a lot of fly-by-night distribution companies out there right now. They can sit there and guarantee you to get out on Netflix or Amazon or some kind of uh, streaming platform, which they can't. Um, and, and I've told a couple of friends of mine, if any distribution companies ask for money up front and say they can guarantee, they're wrong. Because you should never put money up front for distribution. <coughs> and no one can guarantee distribution. Uh, because what they it's like an aggregator. They go out there and they try to get your product out there to different companies and and hope someone will pick it up. So when that falls through, you go you start looking for more and more and more. And I'm on my tenth distribution company talking with them because they all keep promising or they sit there and say, Well, we need this amount of money up front. Like, no, you don't. You, you don't need that money up front. And uh, I had one that sat there and told me, he goes, well, we'll try, we want 50%. I'm like, whoa, hold on. <laughs> you want 50% of getting my product out there when I did all the work? No, it's not going to work. And uh, you know, I've talked to quite a few of my friends, actually, Philip Booth was one of them. He even told me, he says, that's ridiculous. You, you don't know. No 50%. <laughs> no. The sci-fi don't even take fifty percent. What's what is normal for something like that, Chris? Uh, you, the normal rate you you don't want to go more than forty percent. You know, it's the uh, forty sixty or thirty seventy. Um, so thirty seventy is ideal and hopes you get a good return on that. And like with horror movies, what I've learned it's really huge in the Japanese market. German market and Australian market. And so those are different areas where you can sell your product. And like if I wanted to go to the Asian market in Japan, they buy that territory. So they want Rosalie for that territory. So they buy Rosalie, the rights of Rosalie, just for that territory. I will still have rights for it in America and any other countries or any other territories except for Japan. They give me a, a flat rate, and then they do what they want. They'll probably change the cover of it. They might change the name. I'll still have my name on as director. Put subtitles. Productions. <laughs> huh? Put subtitles in or over over talk. Yeah, or, uh, subtitles talk and over. all that. Yeah, you know, the, the funky Japanese, you know, English missing language lip reading thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's... It's a big market. I mean, it, it's a lot of it's a lot of legwork, phone calls, emails, more than I really expected from a reality show to um, a documentary to filmmaking. So it's 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 a whole different level of a playing field, and I absolutely love it. So, <coughs> excuse me. So. How did and because this is another major thing, a lot of people are wanting to do something like you're doing, but they're having issues with uh, American money. Money is all is the root of all movies, really. You got to have it to make it. So, how did you go about? Was it just investors, or is there? I mean, how did you go about funding something like this? Um, well, you know, um, it's like I have an investor for Rosalie, and so once the product was written and the, it was finalized. And uh, we had to final the draft, the shooting script. Then I got the investor. I had a well, business how did, plan. How did you everything. find him, though, Chris? How did you find him? I mean, it, investors are – and my other business, I, I I did the same thing. I look for investors to do stuff, too. And it's not as easy as everybody thinks it is to just call somebody and say, hey, give me you know $100,000 to make a movie. How did you – is it a friend, or did you have to actually search them, or how did you actually find your investor? Uh, the investor for Rosalie was actually a friend, thank God. 
<laughs> oh yeah, that's because yeah. uh, you know you're, you you've been in this business. You know how hard it is to find investors for stuff sometimes. Oh, it's very hard. I mean, like for this new project we're working on, um, we've been turned down. I would say at least good six, seven, eight times from other investors, and we've and now we're on about our ninth investor right now, which we. Uh, you know, may the good Lord uh, bless us with this, but um, we've just the furthest we got one of the investor, and we're just waiting now. But it takes Is time. It? I mean, it's it's hard. You gotta. I've always got the uh, response. Well, I only invest on bankable actors. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I don't tell, know. Tell that to the show clerks. They made a fortune. <laughs> well, on you like know what, Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith. He took all of his credit cards and just he maxed every credit card he had to do clerks. Yeah, and and he he he, he gambled and thank God he gambled correctly and it, it worked out for him. <laughs> well, that's just hilarious. <laughs> I've movie. never seen it. What 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 is clerks about? Because we're, we're talking. I've never seen it, Kevin. It's about a store clerk, a guy who works a convenience store, and all these people come in throughout the day, and they all got their stories, and it's just, it's comical. I mean, it's just yeah, it's, it's one thing after another. Well, you well, heard of Jay and Silent Bob, right? Yeah. Yeah, basically, Jay and Silent Bob is where clerks <laughs> basically didn't they just hang out in front of the, the convenience yeah. store? Yes, yeah, they got their start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we can have success all over the place. You just got to be talk a clerk. They talk about things on the show, like they get in-depth conversations of things like, like Star Wars. You know, when the Death Star blew up, you know, it wasn't complete. Right. So what about all those innocent contractors on board? What happened <laughs> oh, to those? Yeah. <laughs> I love and they it. made they made a hit show out of that, huh? Wow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh yeah. There's a lot I'm of people shows, though. You know, Chris, that are uh, if you research, there's a lot of people who who took things and made mega productions out of, out of very little money. Nobody believed in them when they took it and they made it, you know? It, it, that's the thing is if you want to be a filmmaker, believe in yourself. I mean, and, and just, it, there's really no wrong way of doing it. It's just being creative and uh, just going for it. Yeah, it takes money, but sometimes you got to start little, you got to start small and work your way up and just find your niche, find your your technique and your, because uh, everybody's talented. I mean, in one shape or form, someone's got some kind of talent. And if your passion is being behind the camera and creating stories, go for it. You, there's nothing stopping you. Yeah, I, I I applaud you for what you did. I think that's amazing. I mean, I read about Rocky. I think it was Sylvester Stallone when he wrote it. He he couldn't find anybody to work with him. He sold his dog off and everything else. Is, he loved his dog. And until he got his money back, he went and bought his dog back. But he gave up right. a lot of things just to get that movie off the ground. And, you know, he got, he took a big risk, and look what happened to him. Right, I mean, his, exactly. his career skyrocketed. His movie skyrocketed. And, uh, I mean, I, I applaud you. I mean, I think you've done something that's pretty remarkable, to be able to start something and finish something like you did. Yeah, it was, um, it was a tough show. I mean, it was tough to do. And, um, you know, I was... Director, writer, producer. I was building sets. I was gaffing. I was setting up lights. And I mean, I while well, we was on set, I guarantee you, I probably got two to three hours of sleep each day. And the whole time you got a regular yeah. job, right? Oh uh, no, I actually took vacation. Okay, <laughs> I took my vacation. <laughs> but How long was that, the vacation, Chris? <laughs> Uh, well, that was for eight days, that one. And then we had to do reshoots and, uh, we had to do three weekends of reshoots. And, um, so in between work and, uh, you know, after, after I was done in post-production, I'm editing as soon as I get off work, I'm editing until midnight and then I get up at four or five in the morning, go to work. And it was been like that for almost a year. How did you find the actors for this? Because is now I, I guess I've heard that they have to be some kind of actors guild and all that to actually do something like that. Is that true or what? What is that? Uh, well, I mean, there's many ways to find an actor. I mean, it's either you know 
just from meeting people, um, or you know, you you look for agents, you go through their agencies or whatever. I got lucky. I ran into Santiago Cirillo um, from uh, some paranormal events, and um, and I sat down and talked to him with one year. I said, "Look, man, I got a concept I'm going to be doing here pretty soon, and I'd be interested in working with you." And he said, "Sure," and you know, he gave me his number, and you know. I waited for a while, and a little bit later, a year down the road, I says, hey, we're going to be starting this project. How would you like to do this part? He's like, yeah, man, cool. And then um, my two leads that I had lined up, uh, they couldn't do it, so they dropped out. And so I said, Santi, you want to take the lead? He's like, hell yeah. And then I'm trying to find a female lead, and then my friend Sean Burton Saunders, who uh, is Ville TV and uh, founder of Creative Motion Studios out of Louisville. He uh, he had this actress from his film Divertrog, and he says, "Hey, you know, why don't you try this actress?" And her name is Jessica York. And I brought Jessica. Hit her up at like last minute. I'm like, "Hey, how would you like to do this? I can throw the script at you, and you read it real quick. Let me know what you think." And then the next thing you know, she was on set, and and then uh. Through my AD and a couple other people, we brought in uh, the other cast, and uh, the rest is history, man. It was and it was it was a blessing in disguise for the way the things fell into place. Now you wrote this, correct? Yes. You're gonna have to tell me how was you when you wrote this. How where did your motivation come? Because it's not as easy as everybody thinks to sit down and write something like this. Well. <laughs> It was part of uh, me getting fed up with the paranormal community, and then um, isn't it you know, neat how it always goes in a big circle here? Yeah, it's uh, it's not so much fed up with the paranormal community, just all the Zach Beggins wannabes, and you know, and it was just like going, um, what would happen if Zach Beggins actually ran into a real demon? <laughs> or some of these paranormal crews that say they're always encountering demons. What would happen if they really ran into a demon? And so They'd I run out really that fast. I, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, and I took that idea, and then I took an idea from um, Post Town Elementary School, uh, a story that happened there, which I actually love Post Town and, and Daryl and Brenda that run that place and own it. Um, there was a story of a girl that fell at the back stairs of Post Town, and um, she, well, she didn't die at the school. She didn't die there. But um, so I just took that story and I just kind of like built on top of it and took you know stuff from the paranormal community and and that story of the little girl and just kind of built on top of it and built and built. And I'm like, well, let's throw a little biblical ideas in here too, and then just kind of went with it. And it just grew and kept growing and growing. I'm like, oh, this is great. And I just didn't stop until I was finished with the whole idea. How long did it take you to write it out? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, Lord. Probably six months. Yeah, because I've, I've had people that's done scripts. I wrote this script in three weeks. But when you, something this, it, this kind of movie, you really got to get in depth with it a little bit, don't you? Yeah, you know, I was, because I never wrote a script before, you know, I always did story beats or just kind of like, you know, with reality TV, grab a handy cam, let's go for it. Um, but there's no, I really sat down, I'm like, okay, how's this going to work? And then I take a break and then I go, you know, do my regular life and then uh, kept going back into it and I thought oh, I didn't like that, you know, and I was back, actually battling with myself <laughs> You know, like, no, Chris, that doesn't look good or sound good. Change that. You know, just kept going back and forth until I finally got it right. And um, and then I had my AD. He helped me out, fine-tune it to get a shooting script, and then it was just beautiful after that. So I'm going to have to ask, because my mother in the uh, 90s was in a movie. I don't know if you ever heard. It was, it was filmed in uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky. You're from Kentucky, right, Chris? No, uh, I'm actually from California. But you live in Kentucky now, correct? Correct. Or do you yeah. not? Okay, okay. You know where Bowling Green is then, correct? Oh, yeah. Home of the court. Okay. They made a movie in the 90s called Haunted Ween. Have you ever heard of that? No. Okay. It, it's uh, 
it's a very B movie and uh, probably one of the worst B movies I've ever seen in my life. But she was in it. And what intrigued me was I got to see the script. And, you know, to be honest with you, when I looked at it, Chris, I couldn't make heads or tails of it as far as it. it I mean, it, is scripts changed or tell me about the script a little bit, because is, does it, is it like you see in a high school play where somebody's name is on it and then they say a word? And is that how you write that or how do you do when you actually write a movie? Um, well, you basically, um, there's, you have several different scripts. You have a regular script, then you have a shooting script. Your shooting script has like fade-ins, fade-outs, OTSs, POVs, you know, and, and stuff like that. Uh, that's the shooting script. Um, your standard script, which are both the same, um, they do have like Andrew says, you know, and it says blah, 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 and then Brandy says blah, blah, blah. And then it, then you throw in, okay, long, dark hallway, you know, moonlight bouncing into the windows and stuff like that. It just kind of set the ambiance so you know what the scene looks like. And then you, and then in the shooting script, you add in, okay, let's do a pan left and, you know, over to OTS and then, or over the shoulder. And uh, so, you know, you, that helps the DP and the director understand what we're going to be shooting. So... It was um, easier for you, it, though, because you wrote it and you directed it, right? So you kind of already knew, in a way, I guess. Yeah, right. But, you know, it, it's it's different when you're actually on set and you're sitting there and you're going, and action. <laughs> and then you're like, wait, no, well, well, hold on. And then, uh, you know, and if somebody's outside mowing the lawn, you got like, cut, all that, you know, or a plane flies over and you're like, oh, wait for sound. And so, you know, nothing ever goes as planned on a set, not as much as you'd like to. So you, normal budget for something like Rosalie, what what would you suggest to somebody? <laughs> if you want a really good shoot, you, you want to, I mean, I've seen people with a budget of $5,000 do phenomenal. I mean, look at Evil Dead, the first Evil Dead with uh, Bruce Campbell. That was a Love that, guy. Well, that was that was Bruce Campbell though. He did an awesome job in that for what he did. Yeah, but that was a five thousand dollar budget, and that movie was an instant classic. Well, that series is probably the, a five thousand dollar budget, Chris. But it's uh, a great show. <laughs> Evil versus Dead. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The true, true, true. And um, look at Paranormal Activity, the very first one. The guy borrowed ten thousand dollars off his dad. Went over to his friend's house in San Diego and says, "Dude, I want to shoot this movie. Let's make this movie." Got a couple friends involved. Shot it for ten thousand dollars. Edited it in Final Cut Pro on his laptop, and bam! Look what happened. So anything's possible. It, it, as long as you got the right niche. Um, uh, my budget was a low budget, and you know, if I had a bigger budget for Rosalie. It would have been, a, I think, a million times more amazing. But it was still amazing. And, uh, you know, and, and I and I know that because the response from the premiere and from people that's already seen it, and it's uh, it makes me feel good that people enjoy it and absolutely love it. Do you got makeup artist, I guess? Is, did, are you casting everybody? Were they from Kentucky or did you bring them in from everywhere? Um, pretty much everybody is from Kentucky and Ohio. Uh, my makeup artist, uh, Jennifer Fraggle D, Fraggle's amazing. She's, uh, she's worked on quite a few major films this last past year that are due to be coming out. Um, she's a phenomenal artist and, uh, and she's just beginning and she's gonna, she's gonna go far. And then also Lauren, who also helped on set, she's amazing. And then there was Steve O'Shepard, um, who helped work on the uh, pickup shots. They're all just phenomenal artists. And they're pretty much all from Kentucky, except for Lauren. She's from Maryland. Um, Santiago, he's from Tennessee. And pretty much everybody else is uh, Kentucky and Ohio natives. So, Chris, where did the Rosalie name come from? Where Where was that? I mean... You got the idea, I'm going to make a horror movie. Where Where was Rosalie? Is that a name you just came up with? You liked the way it, the name sounded, or was it something that was, is there something 
familiar with your past or history or something with that? We were, it was actually my wife and I in the car, and Fraggle was in the car with us. And we was driving down the road, we was trying to come up with a name for it, and we was just bouncing around, and um, the, ro- the name Rosa came up. And it was like, okay, I kind of like that. And we just kept messing with that, and we had all different kinds of different last names for it. And then uh, I think my wife said Lee, and then... Fraggle was like, Rosalie. And I'm like, wait a minute, that sounds amazing. I like Rosalie. So it was just, it was about the three of us in a car driving down a freeway just throwing names around until it sounded right. And well, it I think you got a good name. Honestly, I think it's a great name for it. I think it's catchy. It's good. It's I like it. Yeah, you'd be amazed how some of these films get their names. You really would. <laughs> So, so what happens if a if a major production comes up to you, Chris says, "Hey, we want to take over this film. We'll give you a little bit of money for it, but uh, we want to redo the whole thing with better, or not better. Let's just say more, like they say, bankable actors. Would you do it? Or bigger income, make bigger graphics, bigger? Yeah, I would because it's it's the thing with filmmaking. It, it's a product, and you know, and products get sold all the time. And I could take. She's my baby. Rosalie's my baby, and uh, that'll never go away. Um, and if someone came in and wanted to buy it, there would be stipulations that I'm still tied to it as far as my name, and then uh, you know royalties. And, uh, first, well, royalties depends if they change production. You know, I just still like to have my name attached to it. You know, written by or or you know concept by Christopher Mag or whatever or Creepy Attic Productions. But um, I would, if someone came along with the right price, I would sell Rosalie so I can go on to my next projects. And so what, it happens all the time. Yeah, let me ask, because I've been looking at your, your information here, um, and somebody just texted me and said, yes, Chris. So I'm just, I don't know what that meant, but I'm relaying the information to you. But uh, what is Harlan Kentucky's Monzo Shepherd story? That's a long thing, but what is that? Uh, Harlan, Kentucky, Manzo Shepherd story. Um, um, so, uh, this friend of mine named Tony, who lives down in Harlan, Kentucky, uh, hit me up about, um, wanting to do a documentary of this murder that happened in the 1950s in Harlan, Kentucky. And Manzo Shepherd was the, uh, he was the, the culprit of this and him and his buddies, uh, basically robbed his cabbie, Joe Christensen. They took him up to the highest point in the state of Kentucky, Black Mountain, and they uh, were going to rob him, but Joe Christensen decided to fight, and then they slit his throat and, and threw him over the edge of the mountain and then took his car and, you know, set his car on fire and everything else. And Later they were caught, and Manzo Shepard was put on trial right down in the heart of uh, Harlan, Kentucky, where he was also uh, he was in prison for a little while, waiting on trial. And uh, at the, his trial, there was 300 people at the trial. And because such of the heinous crime that he did, and you know the person that he killed was such a, a loved person from the town. So um, during the trial, Joe Christensen's nephew was at the trial. And he snuck in a, a small revolver and walked up behind Manzo Shepard and shot him in the back of the head right in the courtroom and killed him. And so the fact is that basically what, they rushed Manzo Shepard's body out and they rushed him to the hospital and uh, and then they asked the jury to pass sentence right away on Manzo Shepard. And uh, so they within 10 minutes they came back guilty and you know, uh, they, he would need to be executed, you know, so he's going to be put on death row and uh, executed. So then they called the hospital and they say, well, how's the man's shepherd? Oh, he just died. Oh, really? Well, we passed sentence before that. So, all right, sentence, com- sentence fulfilled. <laughs> Kentucky justice. Yeah, I thought that's what that was because I know that story. That was the funniest. That's a what. I I just I'm baffled by that because sometimes, 
you know, Kentucky's got a reputation for the past that we kind of do things on our own, in our own fashion sometimes. And that story is exactly that. They did it in their own fashion to protect the citizen of the city that shot him. They they pronounced sentence on him beforehand. But uh, I thought that's what that was. I, I, did you enjoy doing that? Yeah, I did. And um, and we did a we did a paranormal investigation in part of that. And because they I was going to ask you Shepherd. that. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, you know, they say Manzo Shepard's spirit is still there, and, a, and a, one of the cops that was killed in the in the courthouse or in the jail that's right above the courthouse. And uh, I can tell you, man, it was a pretty interesting experience because above the courthouse in the same building, there's two levels of maximum prison style cells, and uh, mm. and had some things thrown at me. <laughs> I was like, "Holy shit, this is cool." <laughs> so it was. It was a pretty interesting, um, pretty interesting bit of history in Merlin, and uh, you know, and just to hear how the town went through a lot that they did, you know, when they shut, shut down the coal mines and stuff like that, and, and what people, innocent, good people, needed to do to survive and feed their families, and they, a lot of them turned to crime just to feed their families. Isn't that where the Ridge Runners came across? Didn't they moonshine and everything, too, back then? Yeah. They still do it today yeah. a little bit because they're at, for those that are listening in other, in other places, they, there's still counties in Kentucky that they consider what they say is dry that have alcohol. So the Ridge Runner is still pretty popular in Kentucky. When you, I mean, do you agree with that, Chris? You're not, you're not been from here, but where you are, I think there's some around your area. Uh, yeah, there is still some. I mean – even when we was down there in Harlan, they said, you don't want to go over in that area right there, up in those mountains. I'm like, why? You, you value your life. <laughs> I'm like, all right, duly noted. <laughs> yeah, do they do they still put the red flags and stuff up? Because I know in parts of eastern Kentucky, because I have go all over Kentucky, but parts of eastern Kentucky, if you're in a wooded area and you see a little red, uh, uh, even a red cloth or something in a tree, you basically stay away from that area because it's kind of your and, and the police there know about it too. Don't don't think they don't, but it's kind of a warning to stay away. Is that basically around uh, uh, Harlan? Is that the way it is still? I didn't see any flags of that, but I did hear the horror stories, and it's uh, there's this areas people know not to go, and yeah. you know, it's just and just stay away from. And it's just this respect thing. I'm like, okay. Fair enough. We won't go there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's actually, and I, I know this is a paranormal show, but it's kind of funny because they actually, some of them, uh, they use the water that's from the streams out there. And I know from not from experience, I'm gonna say that, but I know people have done it before, and they actually they stake out area that they think has the cleanest water or the sweetest water to make their stuff with. Sometimes, and it's a very uh, it could get violent if you end up going where somebody's actually has a still. Yeah. Yeah, and you know the thing with Harlan that I found out is that, like, you know, Harlan's got the nickname Bloody Harlan because of so much that's go that's happened there. And uh, and when we went down there to film the documentary, they were still looking for a man. They just found a body in, in a little pond or lake not too long, like a week or two before there, and there was another person missing. And was and there's a long history of blood and murder and in this little town. And it's just like, my God, this used to be a, a, a hardworking mine coal, you know, coal mining town where people would go to work and feed their families. And, you know, and that was it. And then when those coal mines are gone, everybody just kind of like, kind of went crazy. Yeah. And uh, for a lot of people like in the bigger cities that listen to us, what, uh, and I, cause I've, I've been in Kentucky most of my life, but, there is no big factories and there is no uh, career opportunities in a place like Harlan, really. I mean, there's some stuff maybe, but it's not really, you know, $8 and 50 cents an hour is the going rate for a factory job in most of those places. Yeah. So you have to do something. And a, and a lot of them is converted to like, now. I think now drugs are a big problem out there in Harlan, isn't it? Besides alcohol, yeah, I think it's drugs. It's, you know, you know, the, just the pills and, a lot of pills, a little pills problem back down in Harlem, really bad. And they're trying yeah. hard. I mean, they're trying hard to bring that community back. And I, and I, and I commit I, my hats off to them for the hard work they're trying to do to save that town and bring it back to the beauty that it actually is. 
I think they'll get it there eventually. But like I said, they're going to have some strong law enforcement down there because there is a huge drug problem. And they used to, you're right that it's the opioids and the, the pills and stuff that's yeah. really it's really taking that area down. It's really kind of sad because it is it a beautiful is, country. If you go there, it's beautiful out there. But it's you know, I've never been there. You never been there? No, I, I went to school with guys from Harlem when I went to UK, but I never uh, never actually been to Harlem. It's actually really beautiful down there. I mean, the mountains are gorgeous, you know, and there's a lot of great history down there. It's just the drugs is just what's really hurting them right now. They'll, they'll get it, though. Chris, you've been in paranormal for what, 30? Well, you used to be in paranormal for 36 years, right? Yep. Well, we got about 15 minutes. Can you think of some of the scariest stories you could tell us from your 36 years of experience or just something that's really, you know, that you don't forget now it's hit you and you're like, man, I can't believe that. It's just, uh, stayed with you. Well, two things. Uh, what initially got me started was, uh, when I lived in Southern California and the attacks on my sister. And when I was a young kid and they were very brutal attacks, um, the unknown couldn't see it, but you can see her getting beat up and it was very frightening for the whole family. And then um, when we was at Old South Pittsburgh Hospital a few years ago, uh, I think one of the first times we was ever there, it was quite a long time ago, and uh, walking down the hallway and felt this slap go across my face. And I can tell you right now, that was uh, just one of the most intense, amazing, pissed-me-off feelings I've ever had because I got slapped and I couldn't see him. <laughs> Whoever slapped me. <laughs> I, we haven't and, been slapped yet, have we, Kevin? Sure, I've when you're slapped. Yeah. In the dark. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I look I, at this way: the paranormal field. I mean, there's, you know, we we. I want to get back to that real quick. Is that there's a lot? There's still a lot of good people out there who are doing the right thing, and and they're trying to find what what is causing this the unknown that we can't explain. And my hat's off to those that do that. But I think they're being outweighed by the more mainstream money marketing, who's better and who's who kind of thing. And it's just, it's sad. It's really well, Chris, sad let me ask you this about the paranormal world. Because I've noticed just on my website, not website, on my Facebook alone, there is literally, I've never seen more people in my life that are, they're ghost hunting. I mean, not not they are. It's like they're holding ghost hunts for public, and everybody's doing it. I mean, I've small groups, big groups, individuals. That's all they're doing. And you see anymore is all public investigation, public investigation. One hundred thirty-five bucks, one hundred fifty bucks a person. And I'm thinking, is that really what it's about, or is it really about finding the truth? I mean, to me, that's about yeah, making money. That's what it's all. I see a lot of that, you know, and investigate with special guests. Billy Bob. Who's Billy Bob? <laughs> I mean, it's just... Well, he's from Harlan. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. He's from Harlan. He was in the movie Rosalie, uh, you know, wasn't he? No kidding. <laughs> yeah, he might have been. And, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it, you're right. I've, it, it seems like group investment, public investigation for blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just like, okay, where is the... Uh, where's the true meaning? Where's the true the heart of it all you know now i get it these some of these locations they that people own it costs money to keep these places open and i totally get it you know for people that truly want to go in there and do some research um and you know like post town elementary school when Daryl and Brenda got that school, Daryl didn't believe in any of that stuff. And once things started happening, he didn't understand it. And so people came in and tried to help him out and understand it. And so now he has it open for people to come in there and try to explore and understand what's going on. And now some are going in there and trying to show boating. And there's, there's some in there that actually just want to connect and try to find some answers. But... Daryl doesn't sit there and, well, I'm going to charge you $1,000 for you to be in there for four hours. He doesn't do that. Well, see, that's the part I don't get. I understand what he does, Daryl does, and I like Daryl a lot. Uh, but what I don't understand are the people like there's like, I think it's Ghost Hunts USA, and there's other ones out there, 
and they just charge you 169 bucks a person. And all it is is getting 50, 75 people together in a building and just to make money. And there's no, there's no trying to find the truth. It's just all about mass people together just to take your money and then they're teaching these people things they people have no idea what they're doing and they're and they're teaching them the wrong ways and i don't know it's it, it frustrates me a little bit well you know and i agree with you it's just these big uh, these ghost hunting companies now um i don't think they're doing it for the right reason at all i think they're just doing it to line their pockets and anybody can get mad at me for saying that but you know, why don't you take that away for a minute and actually just sit there and say, look, we'll cover the cost of this place. You help us out, you know, with some little bit of money so we can supply you some, some food. Don't have 75 people in a 100-square-foot building. You know, maybe have a couple people and actually try to teach somebody something. Try experiments. You know, I used right. to do private investigations a long time ago, and I stopped doing them because people wanted to be famous, and they they figured they had they everybody wanted to have a demon. Everybody had a demon in private investigations. I got a demon. Well, you got a demon, and I can't help you because that's not my job. That's that's the church's job. Um, but then I said, well, I want to experiment because I want to see if I can get closer to what the unknown is, and I can't experiment in a private investigation in someone's home because that's not the place to do it. So these facilities where you pay money to go into, that's where we go set up experiments and try to figure out different ways of connecting to the unknown until, you know, to where it's safe. It's safer than being in someone's home. You just don't do it in someone's home. And I told people too, Chris, I said to people that I know personally who were talking about doing those things, and I said, you know, paying for these public things. And I said, listen, this location normally charters three fifty for a night. Three fifty for a night up to like six people. You're gonna yeah. pay over three hundred dollars just for two of you. You could go rent the whole place out between two of you and just take me and a couple other people with you and you could have a good night. Yeah. You have like a handful of people and get a true investigation instead of paying yeah, I don't know. I just don't understand it. <laughs> It's a money marketing thing, and that's why I just kind of like I said, I, it's like, you know, you know, I'm good. I'm good now. So yeah, but everybody's doing out. it, small groups, the medium groups, the big groups. I mean, everybody's doing it now. I'm not doing it, but everybody else seems to be doing it. And I just don't believe yeah. in that. I just don't I don't, don't believe. That's why I kind of respect you for you've done something a little different. Like when I started my group, we did something different. We, we want to be different. We don't want to be like everybody else. You decide, hey, I'm leaving this. I'm I'm going to do what my dream is. I'm going to make movies. You know, when you took your dream, you grab it by the horns and you, you ran with it. And, you know, kudos yeah, to you. Did. I'm hoping it takes off for you. I hope you have major success. Yeah, so my wife and I, I mean, we're both running Creepy Out of Productions. And, you know, it wasn't for my wife being 100% behind me on this and having good cast, a good group of uh, people to work with, I don't think it would ever happen. You know, it's, it doesn't, it takes more than just me and uh, it takes a good group of people and a loving wife to actually make it happen. Well, how do so you buy you, this movie? Where do you find it at? Like where can, like where can people, our listeners, where can they find your movie right now? Well, they can order a DVD and a behind the scenes book through uh, the, what is called PayPal me, CAM creepy attic films. They can get that right now. And, uh, while we still got supplies and uh until then after that we're probably going probably going to throw it on amazon for a little while see how that works out but i'm waiting on this distributor to try to get me into the other markets but i might set it on amazon here pretty soon but uh right now they can order it from me you know just look me up on facebook and hit me up and i will uh i'll get that set up for them um, our new website will be coming out next month the Creepy Attic Productions website, which you'll be able to buy it from there, too. I'm going to have to ask you a quick question before we get out of here, because uh, I noticed you, you just do Paranormal Reality TV, too, correct? You were a pre- presenter and producer on a... Is that what that is? Paranormal yeah. Reality TV? Yeah, for five seasons. Yeah, we've had people... Um, and we've had this conversation several times, and Kevin, Kevin will back me on this, but we've... Uh, 
paranormal TV is good and bad in, in my view as far as it has brought light to the paranormal world when it used to be taboo to talk about. It. It's not like that anymore. But it's also done damage, too, because new people that are getting into paranormal field, they try to do it the way it's done on reality TV, and it's not the same thing. Being your experience of 36 years and you being actually part of a paranormal reality TV show, um, can you give some advice to people that are actually wanting to become paranormal investigators and how to relate to what paranormal reality TV is compared to what it's really like? in the world of investigations, true paranormal investigations? First off, throw away all your black T-shirts. No black <laughs> T-shirts. <laughs> um, it, it's just be real. I mean, what you see on paranormal, I mean, we when we did our reality show, we were a bunch of goof-offs anyway, so we you had comedy mixed in with what we were doing, and then, but if you ever seen any of our episodes, we would leave it up to the viewer what they thought. And we would never say, that's what this is. We would just say, we think this is what this is, but with a question mark. And we would always say, hey, what's your view? You know, let's, let's hear it from you. Um, and, uh, but for anybody that's getting into the paranormal, don't, don't, don't believe in what you see on TV all the time. Because you have eight, ten, twelve hours of footage squished into forty-five minutes, and you're gonna sure bet the best of the eight to twelve hours is gonna be put into that forty-five minutes. So there's a it's more boring than it is exciting. That's all I'm gonna say. And no black t-shirts, please. <laughs> well, there goes my whole wardrobe, Kevin. I got to throw everything away and get gray ones. <laughs> Yeah, Kevin wears purple, and I when I first came out, well, heck, I I don't know why, but I didn't think about that. I actually got, I went to somebody and said, I need a shirt, and they made me uh, three different colors, and one of them was black, so now I feel really bad about having a black t-shirt. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> see, Chris, Chris, yeah, met me at, uh, Chris met me at Benton Farms, and he saw all yep. the purple we wear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. they, they gave me a purple one, and I... Uh, I wore it. I wore. It. What would I wear it for? I took a picture in it. I can't remember what it was, and you called me out on it right away, Kevin. I appreciated that yeah. too. <laughs> I didn't even know I had it on. <laughs> but Chris, we're about out of time. Tell everybody again. I know you already did it, but tell everybody again how to get a hold of you. If uh, your website, I know you're going to websites coming up, but you're on Facebook. Tell everybody how to to, to get on there if they want to check out this Rosalie movie you just made. Yeah, just um, look me up, uh, Christopher Maggard, on Facebook, and look for the Rosalie. Uh, images and stuff like that. We have a, a link to where you can buy the Rosalie DVD. Uh, it's pay, PayPal me backslash CA Films. That's for Creepy Attic Films. And you can get that for 20 bucks. And we also have a behind the scenes book, which is a pretty cool little thing. You get to see all the images, a lot of images from behind the scenes while filming. That's available. And uh, just message me on Facebook if you guys want a copy, you know. We're sending them out now, and they're all ready to go. I've, uh, I've actually had uh, – I, I got to ask this real quick, Chris, because I've had like a couple people message me this. Do you take other people's scripts? Will you, will you look at a script and do something with it, or is it just – you just do your own thing? No, man, I'm open up to other scripts. I mean, I'll read other scripts. and uh, I mean, everybody's got talent, man. I don't put anybody down if they want to try it. Someone's got so there you go. Yeah, there you go. They so you don't mind them sending you one, right? Get contacting you and get your email, and you don't mind looking it over because I think they're act, they're actually asking us. They don't know how to do it. They're saying, "Hey, he's an executive producer. Maybe he can help us do it." So if you like it, would you take something on like that? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. Let's take a look at it. Never hurts to look at something new. There you go. So that you guys can quit texting me, and you can start texting Chris now. <laughs> Chris, <laughs> thanks for being on the show tonight, buddy. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yep. Chris, we appreciate it. Yeah. Now, next week, folks, we're going to have uh, Paulette Isaac. Oh, I'm sorry, pa Isaac, and I can't pronounce that name, so I'll just say Paulette Huff. But she is the host on a new uh, paranormal show on the internet there, and this thing's going crazy on me. It's called The Spirit Realm, All Things Otherworldly. It's a new site, and it's become pretty famous. We're going to have her on next week, so don't forget to check that out. As always, you can go to KentuckyGhostHunter.com. 
check us out. We're also on Facebook. You can go to our group, Kentucky Ghost Hunter Group, or the Kentucky Ghost Hunter Show, or just the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. So you can pick one and go to it. And like I said, next week, same time, 9 p.m. Central Time, we will be here. Kevin, say goodnight to everybody. All right. See everybody later. Good night. All right. Say goodnight, and we'll see you next week. Say, Sirenara.